people sing this morning. Are you happy to be here? Okay, let's try that one more time. Are we happy to be here this morning? There we go. That's great. As the band starts this next song, really open our hearts and listen to the words that it is just, it's so moving and it's so beautiful. And I think you're really going to like it. Like a covenant of old, your love is adoring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today. Faithful you have been, faithful you will be. You pledge yourself to me. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my
bendecirle de su amor. like to just honor our veterans this morning as uh, house lights come up I'd like to ask all of our veterans present with us this morning would you please stand we'd like to honor you and thank you for your service to our country do we have any in the house this morning all right let's give these men a hand Thank you. Thank you. We, uh, we, we truly do honor you. You are the heroes, and we thank you for your service to our country, and we understand that our freedom may be free, but it was not cheap, was it? And it came with a price. So t this weekend, we honor those veterans. This morning, our 930 service was just loaded with veterans all over this place, and uh, I, you know, in light of everything that we're looking at in our country right now, these guys are definitely heroes. Let's give them another hand. We thank God for our veterans in this country. I'd like to just take this time to welcome everyone to, to Crossroads Ministries. We're glad that you're here. This time, please pay, take the friendship folders and pass them down the aisle. We appreciate that. And, uh, and, and as we seek to minister to you, better that helps us there is also a, uh, a, a the boxes are returning this is the operation christmas child you'll see out in the foyer there's a place to return your your box don't bring them back empty bring them back full all right there are about four or five boxes left out there that are empty and uh, if you haven't yet taken a box be one uh, one, of the, one of the young kids in uh, from sunday school came up and goes pastor ken there were 12 boxes before the service there's now four 
So I want to encourage you, go get one of them and, uh, and fill that up. And uh, you can take this one off the stage when we're done as well. But uh, I want to encourage you, bring them in next week. You can see Dana and Sarah out there collecting them. We're putting them up there. What doesn't come in next week doesn't get to go. So they, they have to be, we're leaving this building next Sunday afternoon. So you can bring them in during the week or next Sunday and uh, drop them off. But what a great way to minister and be used around the world and encouraging people around our globe as uh, those missionaries get those and they're able to open the doors of the gospel to encourage people as, uh, as they come to Christ. So um, we're thankful for your help there. The Thanksgiving Eve night of worship is coming up, not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, November the 23rd. It's 7 o'clock. We're going to have a night of worship here. Uh, there won't be, our kids' programs won't be running. Our youth programs won't be running. Everything will be here one hour from 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock. By 8.05, you'll be on the way out the door able to make your pumpkin pies, all right? And we're uh, working on your, your meal for the next day. But we want to encourage you, let's come together as a church family and have a time of worship. We're just going to have a night of worship where we're going to sing praises to our Lord. We're going to share a few testimonies, of, uh, a brief, brief thought on Thanksgiving, and then we're going to have communion. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you, it's a great night to be together. It's not, not a program, it's just let's be together and worship our Lord. And then coming up, you'll notice an insert into your bulletin there, I'll be home for Christmas. If, you'll, if I could direct your attention there, please take that flyer and uh, invite somebody. Prayerfully consider who that you can bring, who, who maybe you can buy their ticket and get them here. Uh, the tickets are $6, and that includes the, the whole, the, whole uh, the, uh, the theater over here. And then in the gymnasium afterwards, there'll be a dessert bar. So on Friday night, 7 o'clock starts in here at 7. Saturday and Sunday, we'll start in here at 6. Uh, and then after the program, both nights, you'll go over to the gymnasium, and there'll be a dessert bar, and it'll be an uh, exciting exciting night. So the gospel's being presented. The, the reason behind this is not just to have a Christmas program, but the reason behind it is so that it's an opportunity for you to reach out and touch someone and bring them to Christ. There's several people in our church that are here because somebody like you reached out and brought somebody in, and they are worshiping Jesus Christ on a regular basis here at our church. So I want to encourage you, step up to the plate and watch what God can do in your life by a simple invitation Simple offer to buy their tickets, six dollars, and that's uh, that's why we've gone to the dessert theater so that you can actually afford to bring more people and uh, and, and and put put something in their hand at that busy time of Christmas. Let them hear the gospel of Christ, begin the conversation, and watch what God's going to do. And then you'll see the next insert into your bulletin is the birthday gift to Jesus. We're thanking God for the opportunity that we have. Our goal this year is eight eighty thousand dollars. And you'll look at the list there. I'm going to ask everyone to take that list home. And if you all would begin to pray. And let's ask God together as a church that we would be able to meet the needs on here. Our offering has started. It's a 10-week period that you can give to this offering. This will run through the second week of January. So I want to encourage you to, uh, to pray about your part. Pray that God will help us to meet the goal overall and ask the Lord how that you can give, how you can participate. Uh, I just want to show you a few of the people on here. Of course, we had Daniel and Anna Gonzalez. They were here last week. He shared in the services here. Uh, an exciting thing. We're going, to be, we're going to be supporting him and his team down there. There's, um, there's Jarrett Furnish. He is uh, in Zambia, Africa. There is um, the crew mission. We're going to be putting Bibles into the Middle East. We're going to send uh, over to Bethlehem Church in Israel. Um, there's uh, Scott and Jenny Phillips, who was here earlier this year. They're in Indonesia, reaching the tribal people. Uh, and the list just goes on and on. One of them on here is John and Bianca Fowler. John Fowler, and when he was in high school, I was his youth pastor. And I have to say this, John was on the list of least likely to become a missionary, okay? When you met John in high school, there was, you're not thinking this kid's going to be a missionary. And God worked in his life, and he went out, and he's doing great things for God. And uh, he's, he's raising his family in Panama. He's got three kids, I believe, and uh, I see his children on Facebook. I see him and his wife, and uh, they're, they're out there just ministering and, and doing what God's called them to do. So I want to encourage you, start praying over this list. There's a, there's a lot of needs there. We're able to, 
to touch. Some of them, it comes as a complete surprise to them, and they're just thanking God whenever they, whenever they get that. And so just imagine in January as those checks start to roll out and we're able to bless them, and God's, uh, God just uses our little church from here in Finleyville to reach out around the world. So I want to encourage you uh, to, to make that part of your prayer list. Give more to Jesus than anybody else. Put him at the top of the list. And when we put him at the top of the list, I believe that you'll be blessed and your Christmas will be uh, a really encouraging time. You'll feel like you've made an investment in Christmas instead of just, uh, just putting a few things under the tree that will quickly fade. Uh, let's put something uh, in, into the eternal work of Christ as we help these people around the world. So at this time, I'd like to ask our ushers to come forward. We'll receive our morning offering. If you're giving this morning to the birthday gift to Jesus, please just mark that as birthday gift to Jesus. You'll see that on our thermometer on the, on the screen there, there's just a little bit of red at the bottom. Last week, we received $3,200 to kick us off. Isn't that exciting? Let's give God a hand for that, all right? $3,200. And I asked Alicia Peterson what percentage of that of the overall goal. She said that's 4%. So I just want you to know there's 96% room for you to get involved, all right? So uh, we want to just ask God to continue to provide, but we want to give him the glory. And uh, if you're giving to that, please designate it as such over and above our tithes and offerings today. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father and our God, we come before you and we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great work in this place. You're moving mightily. We're watching families become followers of Christ. We're watching people come into our door and, uh, and they're, they're finding a home, a home under the word of God, a, 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 into the church family, into, into what you're doing here. So God, I ask that you'll continue to bless and do some really incredible things in our church. We give you the honor and the glory. Lord, as we come to this part of the service now where we, where we give our offerings unto you, Lord, we ask that you'll be honored and glorified. And help us, Lord, as, uh, as we seek to... to to bless your heart as you've blessed us. In your name we pray, amen.
been in a series called Winning or Losing. Of course, last week we took a day off of that with uh, Daniel Gonzalez, our missionary from Ecuador. But we've been in a series on winning or losing. Thank you. And uh, whenever, we, whenever we were uh, planning this series, I was planning that uh, hopefully that the Pirates would have been in the World Series. Who would have thought that the Cubs and the Indians would be in the World Series, you know? Of, uh, you know we used to laugh when the Cubs came to town. And I think that's what they did whenever the pirates came to town, right? To their town. And so, but uh, winning or losing. Everybody wants to have a winning lifestyle. Everybody wants to win. Everybody wants to know that at the end of your life, you've made a difference. That, uh, that things went, you, you, want, you want this uh, abundant life, John 10.10, 10, that God offers. Uh, he came as a th- uh, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came that you might have life and you might have an abundant life. You might have it to the full. So what I want to encourage us this morning is uh, I'm just going to recap here on our baseball diamond. We've been using this baseball diamond to help us illustrate. We said in the game of baseball, there's home, first, second, and third. And so when we, when we start at home, what you have to do when you're starting at home is you have to connect with God. Uh, you know, in a game of baseball, you have to take the bat, you have to swing, you have to hit that ball, you have to connect. And so what, in our analogy here, we're saying dependence is where, we, where it begins. Uh, home plate. If you don't start at home plate, you can't play. And if you don't end at home plate, you don't win. 
Uh, you don't score unless you come back and you touch all the bases and, and come back and hit home plate. So dependence is part of the winning life and to develop a dependence on Christ. Uh, then there's winning on the inside. If we go up here to first base, we'll see that there's winning on the inside. As you head off up to, uh, up to first base, you're going up first base and you're saying, all right, there I am and I'm going to win on the inside. Uh, that's the area of personal character, developing character. Most of the time, we want to run right to third base. Nobody wants to go to first base. Everybody wants to go to third base because third base is where the results are. Third base is where we see success. We see all the great things. Um, And then there's second base. When we go to second base, we're learning about how to... We're learning about how to have relationships. How to win at relationships, and I think that that is probably the most challenging area. We said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, uh, that, that, that God has called us. He said that he wants us to, uh, to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and to not be conformed by, uh, by, the, by the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 2. And so God's pattern uh, doesn't, doesn't go to results first. God's pattern starts with God. It starts with dependence. And then he takes us and, and he takes us to develop character. He takes us to win at relationships. And then we get to see the results. But sadly, too much of our life, we've run after those results. We've gone out to third base looking for those results. And so many people have given their whole life looking for a result. But yet, there's other lessons to be learned. So today, we're going to look at, uh, at second base. And I'm reminded of, of Linus. Linus said that, that he loves the world, but it's people that he can't stand, all right? Maybe you remember that little cartoon, I love mankind, it's people that I can't stand. Uh, now, that's, that is not a winning second base idea, okay? We want to win at relationships. We want to win with the people that we're involved with, our family, the people that we work with, the people that we go to church with. Uh, there's people, and God's put these people all over our life, and they're so important. So we've been looking at the life of Jacob. We've looked at the life of Joseph. We started out, and then we went back to his father, Jacob. This morning, I'd like to go back and look into the life of Jacob and just look at a, a few areas, because Jacob was used by God. God. He had God's favor. God did a lot for him, but Jacob also had some issues. Jacob, I believe, lost on second base. Um, he, got, he got thrown out at second base. He had great results, and God was working in his life, but there were some second base issues he had to deal with here. Uh, Genesis 25, verse 29 is where we'll pick up this morning. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. So Jacob and Esau were the twin brothers, as we talked before. So his brother's out hunting in the fields. He comes in, and uh, verse 30, And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of the red stew, for I'm exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Um, his name, first of all, Esau meant hairy. Uh, he, was, he was a hairy fella, and so he was the hairy one, so he was known as Esau. Now his name is also known as Edom for red because of this red stew. I, and I want you to look at why he, why he gets that name after this. Verse 31, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And Esau despised his birthright. Here's what happens. There's a birthright. You know, we don't understand that word birthright in our culture. Uh, You know, I never said, man, I can't wait to get my dad's birthright. I think if anything we say, I can't wait to get my dad's inheritance, right? We talk more in those terms. Let, Let me just share with you what a birthright was here. This was two brothers Two men brothers now, and they're struggling, and they're fighting with each other. And a birthright was this. A birthright gave, if you had the birthright, you had authority and superiority over the rest of the family. It was a place of position. It was authority and superiority over the rest of the family. Uh, You also got a double portion of the inheritance. Uh, You were also given the particular... Uh, a peculiar benediction of the father. In other words, the blessing, the, the, the blessing at the end of his life. You were the benediction to his life. Uh, at the end of his life, there was a blessing and you got to carry on the next journey. This was a big deal. It was obviously something that was transferable. 
And so what happened was Jacob is striving. Jacob, the go-getter, he's striving and he's conniving and he comes before, uh, before, the, before his brother and he tricks him. Uh, he's, you know, he's making soup. He's got this bowl of lentil soup. It's, it's, it's got a red color to it from the beans that are cooking in there. It's kind of like a porridge, if you will. And so it, it, he's, he's got this mixture and it was tasty. He come, his brother comes out of the field. He says, man, I'm dying. I've got to eat. And so Jacob had something that Esau wanted. And Esau had something that Jacob wanted. And thus begins the war. Thus begins the loss on second base. He was going after something that was really valuable, wasn't he? And he was going after something that was good because God had promised to Abraham that he would make him a great nation. And to Abraham's son, Isaac, the promise carried through. And so the, the promise was coming down. The next in line, then we have Jacob or Esau. Who would it be? So Esau was the first one out of the mother's womb. They were twin boys. The first one out, Esau, would have gotten the birthright. And so what does he do? He comes in and he lies and he connives and he schemes to get something really good. And what he did was he bypassed second base. He ran right to third. He's a classic third base runner here. Uh, look what happens here after the blessing. After he's, so he's, he, he connived for the, for the birthright, and then he, he lies to his father, and he gets, Jacob gets the father to give him the blessing. Now Esau hated Jacob, verse, chapter 27, verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for, the days of mourning for my father are approaching then I will kill my brother Jacob. When we scheme and we connive, we play our games, we lose at second base. We lose at relationships. And here was, was a man who was really chasing after something good, but he did it at whatever cost. Uh, he did it at the cost of relationships. And I want to encourage you, that uh, many times we get into our life and we strive. And when we strive to get what we want at all costs, the cost is actually higher than we thought. Sometimes that cost is just higher than what we thought. And you're running after that success. You're running after to be a successful person in your life. And in the meantime, you've lost family relationships. You've lost relationships of people in your life. And you've burned bridges and you've hurt areas of your life that are more important in the success. But when we're chasing after success, when we're chasing after those things that we so desire, we can't see it, can we? We can't see the fact that somebody's been hurt, that we bulldozed over somebody. We can't see that we have neglected a relationship because our eyes aren't looking at people anymore. Our eyes are looking at this major task. Uh, Jacob, here he comes and he tricks and he lies and, and he's alienated his family. Uh, his, his family, has, uh, uh, his, his fa he's alienated from his brother. He gets married. He has four wives. He ends up having four wives. Now, could you imagine that? Four wives. He has four wives, and amongst the wives become jealousy and competition. And then from the four wives, there's 12 children. And among the 12 children is jealousy and competition. And that's the story of Joseph. When Joseph gets sold off, Jacob's son, Joseph, his youngest son, gets sold off by the other 11 because they, feel, they felt that Jacob had favored Joseph. And so Joseph is sold off into slavery. He's thrown into a pit. And as he gets thrown into the pit, it's a horrible situation. Uh, he's alone. And as we talked, we said, Joseph learned all these lessons in life. But I want you to see what happened here. Where, what was going on here? His family became dysfunctional. We've said before, earlier this fall, that, um, that all families have a degree of dysfunction. If you're, if you're in a family, there's dysfunction. No family functions 100% to what God had designed it to be. But let me tell you about the 12 sons of Jacob. They dealt with, some of them were guilty of betrayal, of course, the whole deal selling Joseph off, adultery, and murder. Uh, th this, was, this was a classic dysfunctional setup. This was a big mess. And, uh, and, and where was Jacob the whole time? Where was Jacob? What was going on when his family was going awry, when his kids were blowing up, when relationships were blowing up? They were following his relational pattern. 
They were following his relational pattern to, to sell off your relationship for, a, you know, sell, get rid of the relationship so you could have the birthright. That was the pattern. And look here at what was happening. Genesis 30, verse 43. This is what, this is what Jacob was doing. In this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous and came to own large flocks and maidservants and manservants and camels and donkeys. And if you go back and read the chapter 30, you'll see that he was a hard worker and he lived up to his name of a go-getter. He was that hill catcher. He was running the race and he was your classic third base runner going after success. And while his family was imploding, he was out working and working and working. And he had everything. Uh, as a matter of fact, he had the favor of God on him. God was even, remember we looked at uh, in weeks gone by that God's favor was with him. God was upon him and God was doing great things still. Even though he made some decisions that were poor, even though he wrestled with God, God was still working in his life. But yet he went out and he finds that life can be broken, can't it? Um, he was at work and... Many times we do that in our life, don't we? We sell out to work instead of being present. I, uh, I, I love that thought that to, in our home, to just be present. We don't have to be perfect. I, I, there's a, I think there's a book out there somewhere called Present Over Perfect. I'm not looking for perfect dads, not looking for perfect homes. We're looking for people that will be present. Show up and watch what God will do in your home. Um, and so uh, Jacob had been out working, and despite all these things that he had, all the blessings, all the, all the great wealth, I mean, this guy, he was, you know, there's the, he's following the promise of God is still true. He's going to make a great nation through his descendants. As a matter of fact, his 12 children end up becoming the 12 tribes of Israel. But his children go out. His 11 sons lied to him and told him that Joseph was dead. He was devastated, and the formula of worldly success was not greater than the pain of broken relationships. Genesis chapter 37, verse 34 through 35. Then Jacob tore his clothes. This is right after his, uh, the kids, the other 11 come back and say, Hey, look, Joseph is dead, and they show him the clothes with, with blood all over it. In the meantime, they had lied. Uh, Joseph was sold off into slavery. They knew that he was alive, but they, for all practical purposes, made him dead to their father. And they said, we do not like him. We are so upset. We are so jealous of him. We are going to get him out of the picture and so we can get our dad's attention. And look what happens here. Genesis 37. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to confront him to comfort him. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, and then he would weep. All of Jacob's wealth could not restore the sorrow of losing someone he loved. Uh, his success meant nothing to him as he grew older. All the riches that he had meant nothing in light of his son. The brothers, they felt the pain of broken relationships. And so we have this, this, this scenario of a, of a group of people that are losing at relationships. Uh, when they, as a matter of fact, let's fast forward now 20 years later after, after the news comes back. There are now uh, that the Joseph has, is dead but in the meantime, God had taken Joseph. He was sold off into slavery. God was with him. God was with him through every step of the pain. And this is a key part of the, of the lesson there, that God is with you in every step of your pain. Every step of the way, God is there. He has not left you. Even if you're experiencing pain from some of your poor decisions, God is still there. God is still redeeming, and he's wanting to work. That's what was happening in Joseph's life. That was what was happening in Jacob's life. So fast forward to 20 years now, uh, Joseph is now high in command in Egypt, and his family comes before him, and they don't know that it's, it's him. Uh, they don't know that it's him, and, be, and, and one of the brothers says, says this. He says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked, but you wouldn't listen, and now we have to answer for his blood. For 20 years, there was, there was a family secret you know, maybe there's secrets in your family nobody's allowed to talk about. I know there's one in our family. When I go to my father-in-law's for Thanksgiving, there's one thing I'm not allowed to talk about, and that's the election or any election. 
ever. Uh, listen, anytime we get into there, it's not like we're not allowed. We just know we don't go there, right? And so, but this was so much bigger than something like that. There was, there was something so heavy that they were hiding. They had lied. They connived. They schemed. They were trying to get something that they wanted, and they sacrificed the relationship of their own brother. And here they are 20 years later, and he says, didn't I tell you? We're going to have to answer for that. There's a famine in the land. They had to come from their land back to Egypt. And, uh, and what they didn't know is that Joseph is in charge. Joseph's the second man. He's able to take and, and meet some of their needs to care for them. All of Jacob's wealth could not have dealt with the sorrow. These boys had been dealing with this pain for 20 years. Look at the pain of broken relationships. The pain of, of losing at second. The pain of getting thrown out at second base there. Jacob claimed, verse, this is Genesis 42. They come, they come back and they ask uh, Joseph, send them back and say, go to your dad and bring back another son. Jacob, Jacob exclaimed, you are robbing me of my children. Joseph is gone. Simeon is gone. And now you want me to take Benjamin too? Uh, everything is going against me. Then Reuben said to his father, you may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. I'll be responsible for him, and I promise to bring him back. But Jacob replied, My son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead, and he is all I have left. If anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving, white-haired man to his grave. What lessons can we learn from the life of Jacob? Look at these powerful lessons. God is trying to show us that, uh, that we have to win at relationships in our life. Uh, relationships. Um, if, if we don't win at relationships, if we don't get the relationships right, our lives will be filled with sorrow. And so relationships are, are paramount in your life. And you just can't chase after work. You just can't chase after your dream. Your dream has got to include the people in your life, the people that God wants you to have your dream with. Um, you you can't sacrifice that. If you're willing to sacrifice that, that's where you're going to have great pain and great sorrow. And sadly, what we do is we sacrifice that all too often. We sacrifice it in the name of chasing things that are good. We sacrifice it in the name of, of, of running after things that we think that God would even desire. But at what expense? At what expense? Genesis 45, verses 4 through 8. Um, only after confronting issues was forgiveness able to happen. Here's Joseph. Now he's in charge. His family comes back into the land and Joseph is in charge and he has to confront the issue. And only after there was confrontation, only after that was there healing. Now look here. And this, this is a really powerful thing that Joseph does. Uh, this is Genesis 45, 4 through 8. Uh, Joseph, as, as they come in, he says, please come closer. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Uh, He's saying, he said, don't be upset with yourself. He was the victim. The wrong had been done to him. And he says, don't be upset with yourself because it wasn't you. It was God's doing something bigger. In other words, do you see what happened? Joseph was winning at second base. Joseph, if that were me and my brother had done that to me and I'm now in charge, wouldn't you be saying, okay, okay, brothers, look who's in charge now. You threw me in a pit. I'm going to make you wait for your food. I'm going to, and I'm going to, and I'm going to. No, Joseph comes through a process and he says, don't be upset, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you. God had a plan and his plan, remember that dream I had? That's that dream. And God's fulfilling the dream right now and I didn't realize how big the dream would be. And here I am today and God's using me to save your life. Verse 6, this famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. 
God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive, so to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you, and he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. Joseph. He sees the hand of God in his life. And I want to encourage you today, look back on things that were negative, things that were, that were ugly, things that were just plain out messy because other people made decisions that really were painful. You were, had broken relationships. And I want you to go back and I want you to see God's hand in your life. Just like Joseph did. Joseph saw the hand of God and he said, okay, it wasn't, don't be angry with yourselves. God has placed me here for you today. Don't be angry. I am not angry. He has experienced forgiveness. He has let it go. And let me share with you, there's a few things that Joseph learned. Number one, Joseph learned this, that God is great and I am not. What a big lesson. Would you read that with me? God is great, I am not. God is magnanimous. God is this incredibly great God. And if he can work in your life through the parents that you had or didn't have, through the home that was good or bad, through wherever it is that you came in life, through whatever mistakes that you made or your parents made or your grandfather made, whatever mistakes that all those are there, guess what? God is still in charge. And God has your life in his hand. And he says, look, Joseph comes and he's able to forgive. Why? Because God is great. I am not. Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10 says this. Remember the former things, times of long ago, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I will make known the end from the beginning, from the ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. You see, Joseph had understood that. And I want you to be encouraged by that. But wherever you've been in your life, whatever it is that you've been dealing with, whatever situation you're facing today, God is great, not you. God is bigger than you. He's bigger than your circumstances. He's bigger than anything that you'll ever deal with. And that's what Joseph came to understand. Uh, look here at, uh, at Isaiah 40:15. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they are fine dust. In light of what is going on in our country right now, there's, there's just upheaval everywhere, isn't there? In light of all that, I want you to remember that the United States of America is but dust compared to the greatness of our God. Compared to his might, compared to his power, we are but like a little drop in the bucket. And still, we get to go out and we get to purvey hope. And a world that's divided out there, uh, we, we, we have no clue what God's doing. I'll share with you what I think God is doing. I think God is stirring up and bringing people to the point where they're ready for his message. I think people are so hurt and abandoned and there's so many things that are happening out there that their world is rocked by either side of what's happening in our world right now. And I want to share with you that you have the message that will change their life. It's this message that God is great. God is bigger than your problems. The second thing that, that Joseph understood was this, that stuff is temporary. Souls are eternal. Stuff is temporary, souls are eternal. In other words, all the things that you work for, that you work for so hard, all these material things, they are temporary. But souls are eternal. I was with a person the other day, and uh, this person shared with me how that they are just gone constantly. They're working so hard, and, and this, this person had tears because they're out of town a lot and just sharing with me their burden. And I said, well, why? Why do you have to do all that? This person said, because I have this big house. I have a big mortgage to pay and cars and kids. And, and if I don't do all this, my kids won't have that big house and my kids won't have those cars. And I look back at this person with tears in my eyes and I said, you know, I don't think your kids need that big house. They need you. Your kids aren't happy with those cars. Your kids aren't happy with those toys. Your kids are happier with you. It would be better for you to be in a tent with your family than to have a big house that you're gone and never there for. 
You, you see, that's, winning it, that, that's how we win at relationships. We put our relationships ahead of, those, ahead of those results and watch God bless the results. Less is more in God's eyes. You don't have to work as hard to get what God is wanting to give to you. You come and you say, okay, God, I'm going to surrender. I'm giving my 40 to 50 hours a week. That's enough. God can deal with that. God can work beyond that. And I'm going to surrender and I'm going to come home. I'm going to pour into my wife, pour into my family, pour into my kids. Stuff is temporary. Souls are eternal. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear uh, with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Everything that we're working for will be burned up. These chairs will be burned up. Uh, Everything that we've done in here, we have a group of men that that come up, and they, they are ministering by caring for this building for us. But at the end of the day, this building will be gone. We have to do our best. We have to take care of it. The Bible says you must, and then we go out, we work, we provide for our families. If we don't, it says it's not a good thing. Uh, so, so there's a balance here. And the balance is we're not a sluggard, we're not lazy, but we're not abandoning our, our families at the same time. Ephesians 5, 1 through 12. Uh, sorry, Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Give us a few thoughts on how that you can practically do this. How can I practically win at home? Uh, And here it is. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. How does God love us? Number one, I'm going to share this with you. He kept his word. Since the Garden of Eden, man had fallen, and God had made a promise back in the Garden of Eden for redemption. And he kept making promises, and he fulfilled his promise. He keeps his word. When you keep your word, you build trust. Do you realize if God didn't keep his word, we wouldn't be able to trust him? God follows through on his word. I want to encourage you this morning that God follows through on his word, and for us to keep our word in our relationships. When you're with, how do I love? How do I become an imitator of Christ? He says it right here, that you would live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. Uh, get, uh, here's, here's the next thought here. Whenever we don't keep our word, it's like we're building a sinkhole. I'm going to put up a, a, a video here of a sinkhole. We'll kill the house lights, uh, the stage lights here. Uh, I, I want you to look here about the, the sinkhole. This was the Corvette Museum in Bowling Green. And you'll watch that as I'm talking here. Uh, so what happens is when you have a sinkhole, there's just a little bit of water under the ground. And so here was this Corvette Museum, and it had all these, all these priceless cars in this museum. And what happens is they didn't know it, but slowly over time it had, it had been decaying. And one night the security cameras catch this, and, uh, and eventually you just see that these priceless cars that are in this museum, Corvette Museum, fall down under the ground, and they're destroyed. Now watch here as, this, as they come and they assess the damage. Look into the hole, and you'll just see... There's, there's thousands of dollars worth of cars that have been destroyed because there was a sinkhole. You'll look at the blue car there. My understanding is that the, the blue car there was a, a 2009 ZR1. It was the fastest production car in history. How does a sinkhole happen? How do we, do, how do we get such great loss with it? A sinkhole is caused by groundwater eroding underground where no one can see it. Limestone, over many years, forms a void underneath the surface of the earth, and eventually the soil that was above the dissolving limestone has nothing to support it anymore, and it collapses. You see, we're to love like Christ loved every day in our relationships, and when we don't, we just start to erode. And one day you wake up and you say, how did that just happen? And the reality is it didn't just happen. It was a slow erosion of abandonment, of not pouring in, not caring, not keeping our word, not following as God, not giving of our time. Jesus gave everything. He left heaven, came to this earth, not giving of our time, not forgiving. You know, we need to be people that will forgive. If you want to win at relationships, you have to forgive. Forgive. 
You have to come before God and you have to say, Lord, help me to forgive what I cannot forget. We'll put those next two up there. Give of your time and forgive what you cannot forget. If we can take these three things and pour them into our life. Listen, you have been hurt. You've been harmed, no doubt. But God says you have to come and you have to forgive. You can't forget, but we have to forgive. We have to say, I'm not going to pull that record up anymore. I'm not going to keep that record coming, coming up anymore. Um, Corey Tenboom's book is a story of a lady who lived in Holland. And during the time of Hitler's occupation, she was hiding Jews and got turned in by somebody close to her. She lost family members. She was thrown into a concentration camp and suffered unbelievable indignities a thousand times over any raw deal that you will ever know in your life. When she was released and got out, someone surviving that, she started teaching the message of forgiveness. She said, be like God, love like God. And in that course of the moment, she went in, uh, she, was in she was actually out in a church teaching in Munich. And after teaching people, uh, people to forgive like God forgives, a man walked up to her and she realized who he was. This had been the guard who had watched the women strip as he made them get their shower in the concentration camp. And he was the one that she hated, and she hated him with everything in her. And when she walked up and said, aren't you glad that God forgives everything? She said, I cannot shake his hand. I can't imagine shaking his hand. But in that moment, she says, I prayed, God, help me to live my message. Oh, what a great prayer. God, help me to live my message. She said God melted the hate in her heart and she shook his hand and said, yes, isn't God, isn't God's forgiveness amazing? She had been given a raw deal in life and she was able to forgive. And I want to encourage you, maybe you've been given a raw deal in life. I know I certainly haven't faced the raw deals that Corey Ten Boom would have, but maybe you have. Maybe you've, set, you've dealt, dealt with things that are magnanimous wherever they're at, whether they're small to somebody else. Listen, they're big to you. And that's where we have to come. We have to come before God and say, God, give me the ability to forgive. That's how Christ loved. And so in my relationships in my family, I, you know, there's, there's times you get hurt by each other. That's just the way it goes. We hurt each other. You will always hurt each other. That's, the, that's part of relationships. Guess what we do? We come before God and say, Lord, help me keep my word. Help me line my calendar so that I'm here. I want to be present over perfect. And Lord, help me to forgive. And watch what God will do. That's how we win at relationships. Let's bow in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I'd like to ask you to respond to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Would you respond to him this morning? Maybe you're, you've been losing in the area of relationships. Maybe you look back and you see the past and you see areas that you abandon relationships that, that you wish you could go back and change. We can't go back and change, but we can change today. Our God will use all of your past for his perfect glory. Even your imperfections, God works through them. He redeems them for his glory. So I want to ask you this morning, would you ask God to help you do those three things? Help you to be a person of your word, help you to be present, and help you to forgive. Father God, I pray you'll be with each person in our church this morning, Lord. We are thankful for the cross. Without the cross of Christ, we would not have eternal life. We would not have the ability to forgive. So God, I ask that you move in our congregation as we thank you for the cross, as we respond to you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing a verse and a chorus before we're dismissed and respond to our Lord. Feel free to do so. Your love is devoted like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon with mercy for today. Faithful you have been, and faithful you will.
all for coming out and worshiping with us today. We hope you had a fantastic week, and we'll see you next Sunday.